health thinking. Joining me now, one of my favorite friends, Al Bat. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning. I saw your picture in the free press, and uh, also my uh, lovely bride showed me that you were DJ of the week. Am yes. I right on that? Of the oh, week? Yeah, yeah, of the week. Yeah, it wasn't the month. It wasn't like the employee of the year. It was DJ oh. of the week for a dark um, record, dark record. What is it? Dark shadow, dark shadow recordings. Uh, they're a, a, a organization that puts out bluegrass records, and I happened to play some bluegrass. So they one week just called me and said, "Hey, by the way, we'd like to feature you." And I'm like, "Okay, sounds great." So anyway, yeah, so nice. it was, was so kind of fun. A prime parking place. No, I, I got a little mention on Facebook that will be forever lost down. You'll have to scroll forever, <laughs> you know, in a few years, and nobody will ever know. But thank you, Al. Well, <laughs> well, we're we're proud of you, um, and, and I. I want to thank a lot of uh, readers of Birdwatchers Digest, and some were local folks. And uh, just uh, I wrote a um, I'm a columnist for that fine publication, and um, I wrote a thing about well, the title of it was "Sick Birding." I, I won't say anything more, but I just <laughs> want to thank everybody for their kind emails, Christmas cards, phone calls. Uh, it's just uh, just really nice to hear from everybody and. Uh, my wife and I have been busy ringing bells for the Salvation Army, and um, we do a lot of lot of hours. Not so many this year because I I didn't know what kind of condition I would be in, but I I should have rung more. So I'm feeling guilty about that now, and I'm a good Minnesotan Lutheran. I kind of operate on guilt, but it's people say. Somebody asked me the other day and said, man, you're here ringing bells a lot. Why do you <laughs> ring so much? I said, well, I do it for selfish reasons. It just is so much fun. I just really enjoy ringing bells and wishing everybody a Merry Christmas and talking to folks. And it's just a, a real treat to do that. So are you feeling pretty good then? Because a lot of folks know that you've been recovering from cancer and your report has been pretty good. And, and when you mentioned what condition you were in, there's a Willie Nelson song that goes just... Uh, looked in to see what condition my condition was in so yeah. how how yeah. you're doing pretty well i am i uh, had to visit the clinic or the hospital yesterday just to have the, they're always pumping something out or flushing something out or doing this or that so i have to go in every so often but i i have not a single complaint at all I, it's a wonderful world and i'm just uh happy to be a part of it and I read something the other day that made me feel kind of sad, though. In the bird front, it was a from an outfit called Bird Life International, and it uh, I'm quoting them now. It says, "Worrying new information from the North American Arctic shows the iconic snowy owl population is much smaller than previously thought." and in decline. Significant populations in USA and Canada have declined by 64% since 1970. And thus globally, the owl made famous by Harry Potter's Hedwig jumps from least concerned to vulnerable. Climate change is among a number of threats to the species affecting snow melt, which in turn reduces availability of rodent prey also, collisions with vehicles and infrastructure uh, are threats. So that was uh, sad, sad news. And this is um, oh, it's both 
sad and good news. It's uh, for the second straight year, the Raptor Centers Clinic is seeing a record-setting number of patients. As of December 13th, 1,051 patients have been admitted. There's still two weeks of the year to go. The total for all last year was 1,058. Contributing to that number is a record-setting number of snowy owls, and the clinic also admitted more barred owls and broad-winged hawks than in previous years. And I said this sad news and good news. The sad news is uh, all the snowy owls and other birds that are being taken to the raptor clinic. But the good news is that we have the raptor clinic, and it's at the University of Minnesota, and it's as good as um, as good as any clinic is that deals with raptor. They're the top of the world, so we're um, we're happy to have them there. So, yeah. Unfortunately, I heard from a fellow, Ryan Shackleton, who found a dead snowy owl near Mason City the other day, and he contacted the DNR, and they came out and picked it up. He said the, the only plus part was while he was um, looking at the dead snowy owl, he saw a large group of 40 to 60 trumpeter swans on the pond just on the north side of Highway 18. So he said it was it was nice to see the swans, but it was so sad to see the owl. And again, these snowy owls come from way up north, as we say here, leaving the H off. And they don't really understand humans. They don't know cars. They just, uh, they don't, and all the infrastructure, wires and everything, they don't know what that's all about. So they're not very good at being here, and they come here to hunt, and they just um, have a lot of problems, and sadly, uh, we lose a lot of them, and, and as uh, I read, with that 64% decline since 1970, we just, we don't want to lose many more of them. Did so you see it, the picture on the front of today's Free Press from Chad Hines? It's a picture of a, a snowy owl, and it says Chad Hines spotted this snowy owl in 2014, just north of North Mankato, along Nicola County Road 13, and the article says, Large white owls seek food farther south. So there's a big article about it. It says, who, where, snowy owls visiting the region. So I know we've talked about seeing them more, at least. Yeah, and um, I, I'm a newspaper columnist, so every year I write a column about snowy owls and wrote one, oh, I don't know, three weeks or so ago, I suppose. And um, they're just, I still remember being a little boy and seeing very small, and going to get the cows and seeing a snowy owl and just being mesmerized by that bird. Of course, first I thought it was a ghost or something, but once I got over that, it was oh, it was so incredible seeing that bird. I just couldn't believe it. we went to the the local Carnegie Library and got down encyclopedias, every encyclopedia I could find, went to the owl section of every one, opened them up, and I had a... Uh, a notebook with a pencil, and I just wrote down everything I could find out about that snowy owl. I wanted to know why that snowy owl would come to a farm in Heartland, Minnesota. It just didn't seem to make any sense to me why a bird would come down there. But I've uh, I've just been happy every time I see a snowy owl. And I should mention, Chad, too, that uh, in the Christmas bird count for Mankato, there was 47 species seen. Uh, I can mention a few birds, a lot of the normal stuff, but there was a hooded merganser, Eurasian collared dove, sharp shin hawk, a rough-legged hawk, a snowy owl. It was seen on the Casota Prairie area, a northern sawwood owl, belted kingfisher, American kestrel, a merlin, 
northern shrike, red-breasted nuthatch, cedar waxwings, purple finch, common redpole, lapland longspur, snow bunting, American tree sparrow, white-throated sparrow, red-winged blackbird, rusty blackbird, common grackle. Uh, Chad also said during the count week there was a song sparrow, swamp sparrow, and peregrine falcon scene. And the long list, 47, that sounds like a lot of birds and a lot of great birds, but there were some, I guess you'd call them notable misses. Trumpeter swan, didn't see any. Cooper's hawk, none. Eastern screech owl, zip. No long-eared owl, northern flicker. Not a wild turkey. Hmm. No, just, That's just odd. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, horn lark and no golden crown kinglet. Um, Chad also said that Ari Selvi and he had heard an odd bird while out at Casota Prairie, and the bird was calling from the woodland on the opposite side of the backwaters there and sounded like a black-billed magpie. He said, if I were in the Saxim bog, I wouldn't be doubting myself, but he's going to try and do some further investigation. That'd be a very good bird to, to see around here. Uh, Molly Miller. Molly said, I was watching a possum in her yard when it in flew a male pileated woodpecker. He went to the tiny branches of a red splander crab tree and started eating the apples. I hadn't seen that before. It makes sense that they'd eat them, but I hadn't noticed this before. Yeah, they a lot of things like crab apples. Don Grusing said there's a cardinal nest in a honeysuckle bush just outside her kitchen window. It's used all of the time. Yes, chickadees come and sit in it. House finches and cardinals eat snow from the bowl off and on at all times of the day. Cardinals sit in it and house finches too. Who knew a used nest would offer so many chuckles in winter? Uh, Dale and Millie Westland of Hayward saw a Eurasian collared dove in their yard. Daryl Soper of Twin Lakes had a pileated woodpecker in his yard. Margaret Earhart of Albert Lee said the wood ducks were eating acorns in her yard. She saw an osprey. And why was a woodpecker pressed motionless against a tree for a few minutes? Likely due to the presence of a hawk, Margaret. They, oh. They'll see a hawk and they just try to... Uh, what do we call it? Freeze tag when you were a kid. I or when guess. you're playing hide and seek and you did that thing where you were supposed to, you'd find somebody when you found them, you'd hide and you'd have to be really still so they wouldn't see you. Yeah, exactly. You didn't want to be seen. Only the, here are the consequences. They're much more severe than <laughs> ours. So you, this one you get eaten, which is not good. Uh, Eddie Hansen of Albert Lee said there was a deer eating from his bird feeders. And he let it eat for a while, and he finally said, you know, that's enough. (laughs) I'm going. So he he hollered at it, you know, pounded on the window, and the deer just kept eating away. So he finally had to go outside to chase it away. So I walked out and said, get out of here, and the deer finally gave. The deer gave him a dirty look. It'll be back. I guarantee him that. (laughs) (laughs) It was probably back the same night, more than likely. Right. Uh, Dr. Leonid Skorin of Albert Lee said, he uh, he lives on Lake Chapeau, and he said there's a an opening in the water there that was just filled with Canada geese. And he said all of a sudden they just, whew, they all flew, you know, with a lot of honking and noise. And he wondered what was going on, and a bald eagle had flown in and just kind of frightened them all away. And the bald eagle will fly over sometime like that. Hoping, watches everything fly away and then hopes to see maybe an injured bird or a sick bird that it could pluck. And um, Dr. Scorn also said he saw a bald eagle feeding on roadkill. And yeah, they're prone to do that. 
Uh, Peter Madsen of Austin saw two rough-legged hawks in Mauer County. Brad Abendroth saw red cross bills. This would be in Olmstead County. He said there was a small flock of four birds at Oxbow County Park near the Wildlife Zoo. Yeah, there's a zoo over there, and it's it's a fun place to visit. Uh, Rita Granson of Mason City, they said on her Christmas bird count, or on their Christmas bird count, they had 48 species. Highlights were seven duck species, including an American black duck. Also had a northern shrike and a pileated woodpecker and a tufted titmouse. Did not have a single robin to count, which is anymore, too, as you don't get a robin. Uh, speaking of Dr. Leonid Skorin of Alberti, he asked if the mere presence of Canada geese in a lake could keep water from freezing. Hmm. Um, many geese moving about in water could likely keep it open. Whether it's deliberate or not, their presence and movement might keep ice from forming in a small area until temperatures drop too low. Uh, geese are smart. I like geese. Um, as a turkey said at Thanksgiving, give geese a chance so there's it's fun to see them and again a lot of geese in a small water would certainly keep it open um karen you had uh, mentioned about the birds in the birds behind the 12 days of christmas well i did because you know when you hear that song you listen and really there are so many gifts of birds and there's the partridge the calling birds the french hens the the geese and I thought to myself, you know, if my true love, my husband, would get me all those things, we would literally, I don't know what, we we would have to have a giant farm, I would think. So I was just curious if you could talk a little bit about those birds sure. and what it would take to, to, to really, if somebody was gifting you all those, I mean, you probably couldn't live in town for one thing, correct? That's right. And um, you and your husband would more than likely be in counseling if he gave you all those. <laughs> he uh, would Talk about a song full of impractical presents. You're you know, right. The golden rings are cool. So yeah. you say, oh, yeah, golden rings. But then all of a sudden you get all these leaping lords, and you hope they came with the gift receipt so you could return them because they'd be... They'd be fun for a week or so, but after that, you just, you know, who needs all that? And if you had all those maids of milk, and you'd have to have all those cows, and you'd have to have a barn uh, cleaner and a gutter and a manger, and oh my gosh. You'd have to feed them all, and they'd need some sort of 401k plan and health insurance and uh, dental coverage. Uh, It'd just, uh, it'd be a tough Christmas. And it, folks, I imagine everybody knows the, the song. It's a 12-day theme. It's a religious reference. It's based on the biblical interval between Christ's birth and the arrival of the three kings or, and wise men. And it's uh, it, it's really laden with birds. Yes. There's pipers, drummers in there, but lords are leaping and the, and the maids and the ladies. But a partridge in a pear tree. Yeah, what is that? It's probably the red-legged partridge. It's a seed eater, a little kind of round-looking guy, rotund. And it was introduced to England as a game bird way back in the 1770s, but I know it's still common there today. I saw him when I was over there. Another candidate might be the gray partridge, and that's a wide-ranging Eurasian relative, formerly abundant in Britain, but now it's endangered their uh, habitat loss. 
In either case, these are ground birds. They make their nests, their terrestrial nests, nest on the ground. They almost never perch in trees, even pear trees. So oh, a partridge so. in a pear tree would be a pretty odd thing. Uh, two turtle doves. I would guess cool, these cool. would be Europe, yep, European turtle doves. Uh-huh. And we hear it in the Bible, the voice of the turtle is heard throughout the land. Uh, these European turtle doves are native birds that were widespread in the U.K. when the 12 days of Christmas was introduced. They, Their common name comes from a tur sound they make, not any relation to turtles. So I would think that would be the two turtle doves. How about three French hens? Uh, they're probably three French hens, uh, three female chickens, uh, not a distinct breed. Uh, domesticated chickens are descendants of the red jungle fowl. It's a wild member of the pheasant family that originated in South Asia. And this species, which has become the domesticated chicken, is probably the most abundant bird on earth now, although most live in captivity. There's still some wild populations exist in a variety of habitats from India to Indonesia. And chickens have reverted to semi-wild ancestral lifestyle in some places like Bermuda and Hawaii. But I would guess that's what those are. Four calling birds. Yeah, what was that specifically, I'm wondering? Yeah, you think, I'm thinking of a little bird out there with a cell phone, you know, just (laughs) calling people and just checking in and things. There isn't a species named calling bird, but there was a, oh man, an old, old children's book uh, called Mirth Without Mischief. And I can't remember, I think it was in the 1700s when that was written. And there, there's a line in it that reads, Four Collie Birds, C-O-L-L-Y. And what is a collie bird? Collie is an old English word for black. So that suggests calling birds were originally blackbirds. And so that would mean the Eurasian blackbird, also known as a common blackbird, is a likely suspect. Six geese a-laying. These would be gray-lag geese. Uh, gray-lag? Now, we don't have those, do we? Um, very seldom. You see some people will raise them in, um, oh, when they have the odd exotic fowl, people that keep those, and you'll see the different kinds. They usually waterfowl, and you'll sometimes see them there. They're, they are the ancestors of most of our domestic goose breeds. And gray-like geese are common sight at ponds and marshes across US, um, Eurasia. They look sort of like uh, the Toulouse, which is a domestic goose that we have here, gray, big gray goose. And then seven swans a-swimming. It's, I would guess they'd be mute swans. Uh, they're really large birds, and they've long been kept as domestics in England. And they were considered property of the crown. And although some were eaten at banquets, there was royal protection, and that might have saved them from being wiped out by hunting, as they were in other places. So mute swans were introduced to North America in the 19th century, and they're deemed an invasive species here. I found one near Hollandale on the road and called a DNR, 
and they came and got it. I, I think it's uh, probably the end of the, the poor swan, so there's a sad part of that because they are beautiful birds. And you would think a mute swan that they wouldn't make any sounds. Well, right. this one this one certainly made sounds. Uh, they do make less noise than other swans who can be very noisy, but they're not exactly mute. So I hope your husband gets you all that stuff. You know, maybe you can, if you have all these things, you're going to have to provide them with a lot of grain and seed. Okay. Because that's what they're all going to eat. So, but you'll have the leaping lords if they can take a break from that to help feed them. And um, the milkmaids, I'm sure, would be uh, more than willing to take a break from milking the cow, which you'll have to buy at least a couple of cows just to keep them employed. <laughs> Uh, yeah, what a it's it's a wonderful song. I love hearing it, but uh, oh, it'd be a this would be a really bad gifting to somebody. But I suppose you could sell. I don't know how much you could get for for six geese a laying or four blackbirds. You probably wouldn't get a whole lot of money for four blackbirds or two turtle doves or a partridge in a pear tree. Although maybe the pear tree would be worth selling. And you know, the best thing to do, Karen, if you get this, is to re-gift it. <laughs> like I the fruitcake, right? <laughs> yep, you just give it to somebody else. And, say, and you you lie a little bit, you put on the card, when I saw this, I thought of you. I thought of you, right, yeah. Yeah, you don't say, when I opened this gift, I thought of you and thought, I'm going to give this to somebody else. All I could think of when I, when I was thinking of getting all those gifts, all those birds and all those things was how much work it would be because you'd have to feed them, you'd have to clean up after them, and how expensive oh. that gift would eventually you know, end up being it would be a lot it uh, yeah it would be a, an awful lot of work i stepped outside the other day to look at the moon it wasn't quite a full moon but it was so pretty there was just a a little bit of a cloud dancing in front of it, it almost looked like a contrail a contrail which is really a, a cloud and I stepped outside to look at the moon. It was dark, and if the moon had been a musical instrument, it would have been blaring. And the darkness caused me to think of the poet Tom Hennon's book titled Darkness Sticks to Everything, which I think is just one of the world's most perfect titles for a book. Darkness Sticks to Everything, because it does. And the weather here in Minnesota is a good thing because it keeps a mind sharp. A man like me has to think about what to wear every day. You know, uh, women are so good at thinking about what they have to wear. Men, you know, not so much. We grow up as little boys. My mom threw stuff on the bed and said, "That's what you're wearing today." And otherwise, we didn't know about that. But when I was out there, the north wind was blowing a little bit as as daylight came. And it blew in some birds, or maybe the birds dragged the north wind with them. Uh, the wind has to blow. It's, all, it's the only job it has. And I drove most of that day, going here and there. I watched a bald eagle and a crow feeding on a roadkill deer. The eagle fed on one side, the crow on the other. They enjoyed this holiday feast of venison. But I was traveling on a windswept highway near dusk. I'm going to Worthington when I spotted a murder of crows readying to roost in evergreens used as a living snow fence along the highway. I've become more accustomed to seeing winter roosts of crows in cities. And crows flock because they're safety in numbers, but they could do that anywhere they're trees. So why a city? Because a city serves them well for a number of reasons. There's no hunting there. 
There are fewer great horned owls. There's artificial light that helps them spot owls. There's large trees for roosting. You think about some of the biggest trees you see around here. A lot of them are in cities. A lot of them are at, oh, you see them around graveyards and cemeteries and things. And cities are warmer than rural areas. It's a wonderful world, isn't it? Crows got that all figured out. They just say, boy, we, in the summer we move out in the country, we got the country home, and then come winter we move back to town and torment people there who, who you know, get really upset when we poop on their sidewalks. So <laughs> life is good when you're a crow. And I, I didn't even mention that there's a lot more food in in town, uh, although a lot of them will go out into the country now because there's no cover on fields, so there's a lot of corn and things available. Plus, crows have in it, there's just a ever-changing menu of things on roads that have been hit by Buicks. So they have venison, possum, raccoon, whatever a crow is, is hoping to have. Squirrels, they seem to love eating squirrels. So there's all kinds of things on the road. So they just leave the cities and they fly out into the country and find uh, breakfast and lunch out here before flying back to town. So uh, we are, whether we try to be nice to the crows or not, we are being pretty nice to the crows here. We keep them well fed and give them a little bit of light and warmth and make them happy campers, so to speak. So it was a, it's a nice, and I... Uh, I know a lot of people don't like crows. I love crows. I think they're just the most beautiful and uh, intelligent, and they're they're smart. They're just always up to something. I got a um, an email here, and uh, it says, "Which county in Minnesota has the most lakes?" Uh, it's Otter Tail County. Well, now that's far. I'm trying to think. Is that pretty far up north, northwest, northeast? Yep. Where? Okay. Yep. Okay. And. and Boy, I came 1,048 lakes. 1,048 lakes. That's You know, we have counties in Minnesota that have no natural lakes. Uh, Mauer, Olmsted, Pipestone, and Rock have no lakes whatsoever. Ottertail County, 1,048 lakes. That is just uh, it's amazing, that many lakes. And, of course, legend has it that Minnesota's 10,000 lakes formed in the footprints of Paul Bunyan's Blue Ox Babe. Actually, I think Minnesota has 15,291 lakes of at least 10 acres. So, And um, Ottertail Lake, I, I believe Fergus Falls is probably the biggest city in, in Ottertail. Uh, Ottertail County, I, th- I think I'm right on that, but okay. it'd be up in that area anyway. I hope everybody will come to the cafe today where the food chain is missing a few links. The special is always a Heimlich maneuver and gravy is considered a beverage and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any of it. Uh, this is uh, something from those thrilling days of yesteryear. At church, at school, and while visiting the local Santa, the kids received a brown paper bag of goodies. In the bag were peanuts in the shell, a delicious apple that wasn't, and hard candy. 
very hard candy. There was ribbon candy that was difficult to eat and cylindrical sweets with the image of a Christmas tree on each end. The candy was hard enough to be used to patch a sidewalk. It was so sticky that after eating a single piece of candy, I had to lick my fingers for three days. It all sounds nasty, doesn't it? But it was wonderful. (laughs) Remember, folks, Heartland is well worth driving past, so do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. I wish everyone a Merry Christmas. I hope you just have the, all the family makes it home and you just get to see everybody you want to see because we all know it's about the the time of the year and it's about the people. Much They are the greatest gift to each and every one of us. Do you have your tree up yet, Al? And my wife put it up yesterday while I was off uh, ringing bells, so it worked out really well. And if people want to see you ringing bells, where can they go? Uh, i be at High V today, so 2 to 4. High V in? Albert Lee. Albert Lee, okay, thanks Al. Great, Merry Christmas to you and uh, to your wife Gail, and talk to you uh, probably next week. I, I, yeah, I think we'll be here next week. The 26th, yeah, if you're around, I will be. Thanks. I think. Bye-bye, yeah, Merry right. Christmas. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.